Hello, good human, and welcome to this part two of our small business series on the Sunshine Project podcast. My name is Chloe. I am your host, and I know that you've already listened to part one of this series. You don't need my gentle encouragement. You don't need me to nod you over to listen to the lovely long waffle that was part one. That was my story of being scammed and of building small businesses and of all of that glorious mess because you've already listened, because you listened to all of the episodes. If you haven't listened, hypothetically, I really recommend it. If you have listened and you do listen to all of the episodes, A, thank you, sweet angel. I just want to squish your face. And B, I hope that you have subscribed to whatever channel you listen on because it really, really does help more ears find our podcast, our podcast, yours and mine, our podcast, when you subscribe on your favorite listening app. But that's enough plugging for this episode, I reckon, because after that lovely long waffle, that was Monday. Today, we are speaking all things practicality when it comes to small business. So we're going to touch on starting a business. We're going to touch on what the heck a small business actually is, what that looks like in 2023. We're going to talk about some things to consider when it comes to considering if having a small business is for you. And I'm going to share my best business tips that I've built up over the last 10 years, my five go-to little golden nuggets of information that I want to share. And then to wrap up this episode, we are jumping into another Q&A because it's been weeks since we've done a Q&A. We haven't done one since the social media episode And I do like sharing this space with you. I do like the idea that it's you and it's me and it's us. So I'm really looking forward to that. What the heck is a small business? Okay, really good question. Uh, What comes to your mind when you think small business? Is it running a market stall? Is it a local bakery? In Australia, the definition for small business is actually a business with a turnover of less than $10 million annually, which is loco coco bananas to me, honestly, because to me, $10 million is not small. It is very, very big. Now, look, I did try and figure out how many small businesses there are in Australia right now. I got my information from the Australian Taxation Office, specifically from their 2020 report, but it was all a little bit cloak and dagger. It was all a little bit confusing because I found through their report that of the two and a half million businesses registered in Australia at the moment, 98% of those are considered to be small businesses, which again means that they have an annual turnover of $10 million or less. But they only looked at businesses who are registered for GST. Now, GST or the goods and services tax is mostly utilized by businesses who have a turnover of more than $75,000 a year, which means their figure of 98% of 2.5 million businesses that 2.5 million businesses did not take into account all of the businesses in this country that are under the GST threshold. And let me tell you, I only registered for GST a couple of years ago. I 
ran businesses quite successfully, like kept a roof over my head for many years before I even looked at GST. So the number of Australian small businesses we can only speculate is huge. It's also quite interesting to me that technically that number that they're looking for to be considered a small business is under $10 million and they're only looking at businesses who make over $75,000 or have a turnover of over $75,000 a year. So I wonder how that affects policy and I wonder how it affects decision making and I wonder how it affects the way that we talk about and legislate and look after small businesses in an Australian landscape. This became a little bit philosophical pretty quickly. So let's get into the practical side of things. So if you were sitting across from me right now, my love, I would be so excited that you want to start a small business because let's be clear, that's why you're sitting across from me. You're sitting across from me, eyes shining with excitement, telling me that you are about to start something new. What an adventure. And then if you asked me for my advice, Instead of giving you my advice straight away, because your girl loves to chat around things, I would ask you four questions. We're blank slate. I'm going to ask you four questions when it comes to starting your business, the success of your business, how much you're ready to invest into it and where you think it's going to go. Okay. Question one, what is the item that you will be selling? Because it's a business, so you will be selling something. Is it a product? Is it a service? You're not sure yet? Okay. In my experience right now, I personally would recommend a service-based business. I know we spoke about this in the money episode. And the reason I recommend a service-based business is that the cost of everything has gone up so much in the last few years. Take my candle business, for example. In 2020, I could make a candle for under $10, like hand-poured, handmade here in Australia, not getting huge quantities of everything. In the last 18 months or so, I have received emails from every single one of my suppliers letting me know that every material has gone up in price. An email every few weeks or every few months saying, we're going up 5%, we're going up 10%, we're going up 15%, you know, and that's on top of one another. So and things spiraled pretty quickly. There were supply chain issues, there were, I don't know, all sorts of issues, which honestly I am not super privy to, but was still very affected by, as were many small businesses. And you've essentially got two choices as a product-based business. You can absorb those costs. So you can take them on the chin and you can be making less profit on what you sell. If you intend on running a business that is handmade or handcrafted or manufactured by yourself or in Australia or even overseas, there's probably not a huge margin anyway at this point in time. So the amount of money that you're taking home really has to cover, you know, the cost of your time, the cost of your labor and materials. And it can be a tight squeeze right now with the whole financial situation across the planet. The other option is to pass that price increase on to your customer. Now, look, maybe you know your customer Maybe you know that they can afford it. Maybe you know that there's a real need for what it is that you are selling and that's not a problem. But I also know anecdotally and firsthand as a small business owner that people 
just don't have as much to spend right now. Actually, as a small business owner and a human being, the purse strings are just like a little bit tighter. We're just in a little bit more of a hang on to it, save it for a rainy day mentality. And I would say that with those two things in mind, those two choices, either having a really small margin or passing on the increase in price to your customers and just hoping or doing the research to ensure that they can afford it, I would recommend running a service-based business right now. So again, this is in a situation, a hypothetical situation, you're sitting across from me with two options, or you're sitting across from me not sure what it is that you would like to offer. If you're choosing between a product-based business and a service-based business, service-based business could be, you know, some training that you've had, like it could be using a qualification, like a counseling qualification, an NDIS qualification. It could be resume writing. It could be dog walking. It could be gardening. It could be any one of a million things that mostly use your mind or your time. So a service-based business is using what you have within you, I suppose, and a product-based business is what you have around you. That's the first question. What's the item? And then you tell me. And either way, I say, oh, brilliant. Oh my goodness, that sounds so exciting. Question two, who's your customer? We touched on it before, but The really good question when it comes to dreaming up what you want to do for a business, what you want to sell, what your offering is, is what problem are you solving here? It doesn't have to be war. It doesn't have to be this will bring about world peace. It doesn't have to be this is actually a completely game-changing instrument that will shatter the fabric of reality. It just has to solve some sort of problem. So, The problem could be, you know, there's not much on the market in terms of a lightweight beach umbrella in really bright, funky colors. Hmm. If someone wants to start a business doing that, please message me because I've just realized I might be after one of those. It might be there aren't many people in my area offering classes on how to run social media management for small business. And I've noticed a lot more businesses trying to take that on for themselves rather than hiring someone. It might be any one of a number of things. The only problem that I would avoid trying to solve with your business is there's not a really cheap option for X or there's not a really affordable option for X. Because if there's not, if you feel like, oh, no one's selling coffee that's only like $1.50 a cup around me or, you know, oh, everyone's offering wedding photography, but no one's offering it for 50 bucks a day. You've got to trust there's a reason for that. And something I learned quite early on in business is if you gain customers by being the most affordable, you will lose customers because they are looking for the most affordable. Your costs are going to rise. You know, everything is rising around us a little bit right now. And you don't need to be the most affordable. You need to be someone who has their heart and soul in what they do, who is solving some sort of problem. And you can take time to think about what that might be. You can mold it and bend it and work with it until you've got the problem sitting in front of you. But working out what problem you're solving and then working out from there who your customers are is a really important second question of four. The third question I would ask, pouring you another cup of tea, is how much time, how much money, how much love do you have 
to pour into this because it's an important question. And again, I'm doing some throwbacks to some prior episodes right now. We spoke in the home episode, I think it was part two of home. We spoke about the idea that, you know, some people have lots of money and no time. Some people have lots of time and no money. Some people have both. Some people don't have either. And obviously, you're always in a sort of abundance state of being when you've got both. If you've got all the time and all the money in the world to start a business, well done. Was it crypto? Was it crypto early on? Because I I tried the crypto thing really late and lost everything literally overnight. Anyway, that's so good for you. If you've got lots of time and no money, know that you will need to pour a lot of your time into your business. Know that your business is essentially going to be your baby. It's going to be your child. You're going to need to nurture it and spend time loving on it and spend time whiling away and doing fun things and doing monotonous things. And it's going to take up a lot of your days or your weekends or your nights or if time is what you've got, then time's what you're going to spend. Likewise with money, if you've got money to spend on it, you won't need to spend as much time. You can get help doing things. You can hire people around you. You can make that side of things a little bit easier, but you will be spending money. Also in relation to time and money, one thing that really motivated me when I started my first business was that quote that's like, I have the same amount of hours in the day as Beyonce. And look, I was like 19. I look back on that and I'm like, yes, I do have the same amount of hours in the day as Beyonce. I also had no money, had no resources. Like, yes, Beyonce put so much stuff in her day. It's because of the people and the resources and everything around her that she has. And I mean, what an icon. Like, I love that for her. But please don't be burning yourself out over unrealistic expectations like that because everyone's reality is very different. Either way, time, money, whatever resources you've got, you're going to want to pour it in here, especially in the beginning. The more you give to your business at the start, not always, but most of the time, the more you're going to get out of it. If you don't have any time or any money right now, then as passionate as you are, and as much as I see that and as much as I love that about you, I'm not sure that now is the time because I don't want to see you again burnt out over having a lack of what you need to get this thing off the ground. Also, let's dip into the business is not for you stuff right now because I've seen so many people start businesses. I've seen so many people finish businesses. I would say that the most important thing, the most important little red flag around why maybe having a business or owning a business is not for you is if stability is your MO, if you really value stability, if you really value knowing you're getting a regular paycheck, knowing you're getting regular work, knowing that you're able to switch off outside of working hours, then possibly running a business is not for you. And if running a business is something that really sets your heart on fire. Like if the idea of that feels so good and you also value stability and you also value structure, then may I recommend maybe a business coach, a reputable local business coach? May I recommend again having people around you that help you do that? I'm not saying, I'm not saying write it off, but I am saying you deserve to feel happy and safe and comfortable in your working life, in your occupation, in your career. 
You deserve to love what you do. And just because the idea of having a small business sounds like something you might love, it does not mean that we need to look deep into the sunk cost fallacy and you need to get two years in before you realize, oh yeah, like this is successful, but I hate it. And then you need to think, no, but I've spent two years doing it. I need to do it for the rest of my life. Because according to the US Bureau of Labor Statistics, the BLS, Look, they put it in a more negative way. They said 20% of businesses fail within the first two years. We're going to look at it the other way. We're going to say 80% of businesses succeed past the two-year point. 80%. And like, imagine how many businesses don't even make it past the idea and registering the business stage. So that is amazing. 55% of businesses last through to the five-year point and 25% of businesses are still going in the US after 15 years. I don't think I've done anything in my life for 15 years. So I think those odds are pretty amazing. The last question I would ask after what item are you selling? Who are your customers? What's your time slash money situation is, oh, have you got an ABN? And the reason I'd ask you about an ABN is because I spent literally years trying to work out if my candle business was a hobby or a business. Now, The answer, again, not super clear. I feel like a lot of official information and a lot of government information out there is like just vague enough that you probably need to ask a professional about it. But when you ask the government website, when you ask business.gov.au what the difference is between a business and a hobby, they essentially say it's probably a hobby if you do it in your own time or when people contact you, like if you're making something but only to order. It's probably a hobby if you sell your work and just cover the cost of materials. You are not making bank. Maybe you're making a few extra dollars here and there. It's probably a hobby if you do it because you love it more than for the financial aspect. And it's probably a business if you essentially are doing it, not necessarily during business hours, but like it's taking up a large chunk of your life. If you have registered yourself for an ABN, an Australian business number, which is a great first step for any business. If you would like access to government information, government support, grants and things like that, then yeah, it's probably a business in that case. So what I would ask isn't just do you have an ABN, it is have you been onto business.gov.au or have you been onto the US version of that or the Scandinavian version of that or like whatever that looks like where you live? That would be my fourth question. And again, as you answer each of those questions and as you sit across from me, just know I am so flippin' proud of you to be here right now. Like, well done. Far out. Bravo. Bloody love it for you. And now, as I pour you another cup of tea, absolutely beaming at you from across this table, I think it's time that we delve into the sunshine toolkit. As you know, it looks different every week and this week it comes in the form of a pencil case. Hang on, what's in here? It's my best five business tips that I have collected over the past 10 years. Okay, let's go. Tip number one, get accounting software. Oh my goodness gracious me. 
The biggest relief of my life and also the most painful couple of hours spent in my office in the history of all time was setting up QuickBooks for the first time. Now, I use QuickBooks because they had quite a good sale on when I was looking for some accounting software. I know Zero is also quite good. I know there are plenty of others out there. QuickBooks has been great for me. I send everything straight to my accountant from their platform and essentially it's great for two reasons. Reason number one, invoicing. Holy dooly. I used to really struggle to keep track of my invoicing. I used to really struggle to remember who I'd invoiced, who owed me money, what they owed, if they'd paid me correctly. QuickBooks or any accounting software really takes the pressure of that. For me, in my experience, I can see who owes what, what I've sent who, what's correct, what needs a little adjusting. I also love it for taxation reasons because as a small business owner, tax is pretty consistently the biggest thorn in my side. I flippin' hate tax time. So sorry to my lovely accountant if she is listening. Cheryl, you're great. It's not you. It's me. Tax sucks. But accounting software absolutely made it easier. It has saved me so much time. It saved me so much money. And it's kind of cool just to be across what my business looks like, how it's going, what's performing well, again, what needs a little adjusting and all of that. My tip number two in this Sunshine Toolkit is looking at old versus new offerings. This has taken me a really, really long time to work out, but I like shiny things. I like new things. I like having ideas and then sharing them with the world, which is lovely But it takes up a lot of time and it takes up a lot of money and it takes up a lot of mental space in a business. I have just recently come to the realization that for every new product that I have poured all of my love and all of my effort into, some of which have gone really well, like my macadamia milk mocha candles, some which have fallen way flatter than I'd hoped, like my priority planners or even my Sunday poll cards, which I spent so much time, like hundreds of hours creating and so much money on. By the time they launched, not only was I like a bit tired of seeing them and I probably didn't give the post-launch bit of time as much love as it needed, I also had really high expectations for how they would perform because I had put so much into bringing them to life. If I'd spent all that time all that money, all those hundreds of hours on improving something I already had or on marketing the things I already had. I cannot imagine how many more people I would have reached. I cannot imagine the sort of business messaging that I could have spread. I cannot imagine the sales that I could have made. So if you're thinking about offering something new, please also consider if you're willing to sacrifice a little bit of the old stuff if you're willing to make room for the new mentally, financially, all of that. If the answer is a resounding yes, then go ahead. I cannot wait to see your new product. If it's, oh, maybe pour a little bit of love into the existing stuff. Try and reach a few more people with that and then go from there. Tip number three in my Sunshine Toolkit this week is having good people around you. This is such a game changer. It took me years to surround myself with the right people in every single corner. And I'm talking about people that work with me. I mean, they work for me. I don't know. I struggle to say that. That work for me. People that 
hold space for me in Juniper Grove, people that help me with my candle stuff, people that help me with my social media stuff, having a really good accountant, having a really good doctor to prescribe me with my ADHD medication and keep my brain on track, having a really good psychologist. Like I know they don't sound like work things, but I just I just mean surrounding yourself with good people is such a game changer. I cannot believe that I can go overseas if I want to and I can leave my business in such capable hands that it still exists when I get back. That is something that I could not have imagined 10 years ago. And I only came to the realization that having good people around you was so important when I read an interview once by Jane Liu, who runs Showpoem. And she spoke about her first employee. She spoke about how she put off employing anyone for a really long time because she forgot to account for the additional income that having someone helping her would bring in. All she thought about was like, how much will it cost to have this person there? But when she thought about the increase in sales that she could make, the increase in mental space, the increase in capability, the increase in all of it, she realized it was a no-brainer to have someone close to her. And I loved that she had that realization because that made me have that realization and it changed my business and it changed my life. The fourth thing in the Sunshine Toolkit for Small Business is grants. Again, we spoke about this in the money episode. Please apply for grants. Apply for all of the grants. Apply for any grant that you might just squeeze into. Local councils have grants. Governments have grants. Supporting bodies for your industry has grants. Have a look at the grant. See if there's any way that, again, you can squeeze it and squish it and make it fit for you. Make yourself fit into the criteria that they're looking for. Because the more people who apply for grants, the more grants are available. The need for grants is recognized when people apply for them. Grants are not cut because they're not being used. I remember winning my first business grant. I think it was $2,500 from my local council. They did a small business grant and I applied for it. And I said that I had just started a social media business and I really would love a new laptop and I really would love a new phone to run my business from. And when I won, it was the most surreal experience of my life because it was the first time in my life that I'd ever been able to buy a phone and a laptop that I didn't need. Like I wasn't replacing anything broken. I wasn't replacing anything lost. I wasn't replacing anything damaged. It wasn't financially stressful. They gave me the money and I spent it and I had these things and I can't help but think that being able to be that one step ahead meant that I was above the breadline from that point forward. Like when you're living on the breadline, when you're living week to week, when you're living hand to mouth, Even in a small business context, it can be really hard to feel like you're able to pull yourself up and there's a good chance that there's a grant out there just waiting for you to find it. So please Google that. I can't speak to your situation. I can't speak to your location. But tip number four is keep an eye out for grants. And tip number five from the bottom of my heart. So we've done accounting software. We've done old versus new offerings. We've done good people around you. We've done grants. Tip number five, just start your business. Imagine all of the brilliant ideas that have been put off for years or have been put off forever or have been started by someone else because you didn't just start it. I can't tell you how many years I spoke about 
a food delivery service on a Sunday morning for hungover people in my area in my late teens. And don't get me wrong, I don't think that Uber Eats should have been my brainchild. I cannot imagine how many people in the same situation believe that they had that idea before anyone else in the world. But what I am saying is so few of those people pursued it. Like it could have been anyone. It would have had to have been a pretty special set of circumstances for it to be as successful as it ended up in being. But don't hold that business locked away. Don't push it down. Just do it. Like what is stopping you? Honestly, is it failure? Because if you're one of the 20% of businesses that don't make it past the second year, I think it is so freaking cool that you gave it a go. I think it's so cool that you learned stuff. I think it's so cool that you spent time on that. I think it's fine that you spent money on that. Like even if it doesn't go well, I sometimes think like if I'm investing a lot into a business project, I'm like, I could be spending this on drugs right now or on Uber Eats or on a horse. I know that having a horse costs a lot of money. All of those hobbies, though they're not all the same as each other, all of those hobbies are really expensive. And so, yes, investing time can be nerve-wracking, especially at the moment. Yes, investing money can be nerve-wracking again, especially at the moment, but just give it a go. And I, to be quite frank, my level of pride that I have for my friends who have run their own small businesses and who have wound them down, taken a step back from them, shifted away from them, realized that they're not what they need in this season or maybe even any season of their lives. My sense of pride for those people is just as high as my sense of pride for my friends who are killing it in the business world. My sense of joy, the softness and the glow that my heart feels when I think about my friends who gave their all to small businesses and who are currently doing something else or again, maybe forever doing something else. I'm so proud of them, so impossibly proud of them. And as we spoke about right at the top of this series, right in the mindful moment, your business does not define you. Your business is a part of you. Your business depends on you. You do not depend on your business, but by golly, I'm proud of you for chasing this dream and for doing what you do and for seeing how far it can take you. Okay, it's time for the Q&As. Let's get started. This is going to be a little bit of a speed round Q&A because I'm very conscious that this has been a very meaty episode so far. So without further ado, let's jump into it. Chloe asked, what is the best way to advertise and how to broaden your audience? So this one for me goes back to the idea that the selling point of your business is you. I would say that the best way to advertise is to get yourself and your product in front of a camera and speak to people really authentically, explain to them why you love the product, perhaps in a similar way that you would explain why you love the product to a family member or a friend or someone you went to high school with that you've bumped into in the supermarket and make sure that it's you. So if you are 
a witty, funny, clever person, then don't be afraid to show that in whatever content you're putting out. If you are a person who is very earnest and who puts their whole heart into things, then let that come across. You don't have to be shiny. You don't have to be polished. You don't have to be the height of professionalism. You are what sets your business and your product apart. Ciara asked, is it hard to separate life and work when it seems so intertwined? For me, yes, it is hard. I do not really have much of a work-life balance. And for me, that's just a compromise on I get to do what I love. And I feel like my work feels sometimes so organic that it's like just existing. Like it's a lot of the time it's things that I'd be doing as a hobby if I wasn't doing it for work. So I I don't have a great balance in place. With that being said, the balance that I do not have in place is one that I impose upon myself. I have set up quite good boundaries over the last 10 years. I never answer emails out of working hours. I don't give people my personal phone number to contact me, you know, in regards to business opportunities or work things. I draw a real line in the sand when it comes to connecting with other people in the time that I should be connecting with perhaps those who are closer to me, my friends and Patrick and my family. And, you know, I have a rule, which you might have heard me talk about in the social media episode, which is no phones after 9pm. And for me, that also means no business after 9pm, no matter what's happening, because it is never so important that I can't wait until the morning. Amber asked, how do I deal with tricky customers, the ones who complain about prices, etc.? Okay, so I think this is a two-part answer, to be honest. So firstly, you've got the tricky customers who are tricky because (laughs) they just like being tricky. Honestly, I've come to realize, especially since managing the bed and breakfast, that some people complain about things and expect the entire world from you just because they're so used to being able to complain about things and then receiving the whole world. I'll give you an example. Probably our trickiest guest called me in a panic when they arrived at the cabin that I manage to tell me that they couldn't find the key. I'm not sure how they got my number because to find my number, they would have had to have gone into the message where I let them know where the key was. Anyway, I missed the call and I called them back probably a minute later. They'd found the key by that point, but they were in an absolute tizzy because they said that there wasn't enough food for them. And I asked what they meant because, you know, although it's rare at a bed and breakfast now, we actually do provide breakfast. We have a freshly baked loaf of bread still in the bread machine. We provide eggs from our neighbor's chooks. We provide jam and honey and lots of coffee and tea and oat milk and water and a bottle of wine, none of which is listed on the listing. It's just like a nice little treat for people when they get there. Anyway, this guest told me, again, in quite a stressed manner, that usually when they stay at bed and breakfasts, there are many loaves of bread and there are cheese and they and the person they were staying with might starve in the two nights that they were staying there. And I asked them if they if they thought dinner was provided or lunch was provided. And they said, no, no, they, you know, they only expect a breakfast, but they did expect many loaves of bread 
and cheese and more butter than was provided and a different type of milk. And I guess that kind of brings me on to the other type of tricky customer because while this customer, again, I actually delivered all those things to them at great cost and stress to myself, but I just wanted them to have a nice time. As much as I do believe that they were the sort of person who is used to just saying like, hey, I would like these things and then they get them. So then they keep doing that. Like, I don't even think it was malicious. I think it's just what they were used to. The other type of tricky customer is one who has maybe had an adverse experience. Like maybe something you've sent them has broken. Maybe the shipping's taken a long time. Maybe it's not what they expected. And When it comes to the first customer, you've got to set reasonable boundaries, which I'm not great at, as you can tell by the story I just told about all the loaves of bread. But, you know, you've got to have a point with which you will step away. So I knew that once I sorted out all those little extras for this guest that, you know, I knew that I had given them everything that I could. And if they weren't still happy, then I'm so sorry to hear that. I hope you have more luck in the future. They were. We got five stars. It was fine. But the other type of customer, the one that feels genuinely wronged or has been inconvenienced in some way, which this guest probably did, my rule of thumb is to always try and turn a negative customer experience into the most positive experience they have ever been given. And that's not an exaggeration. If someone lets me know that their candle has broken in the post, it's very rare, but it happens. I get back to them straight away. I refund their money. I replace the product. I send it via express post. I write a note to them. I make sure that when they undo their new candle, which has now, you know, been gifted to them by us because their money was returned, They not only feel like they had to chase us up to fix a problem and like we smoothed the problem over, I want them to feel like we've really looked after them. Because I think that a problem that I've seen a few times with any business, not just small business, is this idea that if you fix a problem, then all is good, all is fair. But I think that if we are providing a customer or a guest or a client with a problem, then even if we fix it, it's still a net negative. Like their day, their experience is a little bit worse than if they just hadn't engaged with us at all. So I feel like it's my job to make their day a little bit better. I worked at a cafe a long, long time ago, way before the one I mentioned in last week's episode. I was like 14 years old and The best thing I learned there was we provide customers with solutions, not problems. So I always like to take a minute and figure out how am I providing this person with a solution? I am not going to email someone and say, hey, thanks for ordering. Sorry, what you wanted is sold out. Like, what are they going to do with that? I'm going to provide them with a solution. And the last thing I would say is if you get a niggling that a customer is going to expect service or a product or a price or all of the above from you that you cannot provide or you don't want to provide, it's inconvenient or ridiculous or just not on you to provide, then I recommend very politely and firmly bowing out of that transaction as early as you can. If you get the sense that it's going to 
eat up your time and your mental health and your sleep, then you're sold out, you're booked out, you can't help them this time and that's okay. I have four questions in a row up next, which are Gina asking, how do you find the confidence to actually start? Angie asking, how to get over the fear of putting yourself and your brand out there? Sammy asking best tips in getting started and Polly asking how do you start and thankfully we have already covered that earlier in the episode but I just want to say again my number one top tip when it comes to starting a business or selling a product or offering a service is just to start. Just start telling people. Just throw yourself into it. Make a post on social media. Offer what you've got. Make it clear that this is not a lukewarm thing. Make a big deal out of it and see what happens. Sophie asked, how can you fund things like CRM software and accounting software and a website and things like that when the money hasn't started coming in? And I have always started things at very much the ground floor. So As I mentioned earlier in the episode, there are some great deals on accounting software. You can usually get like 50% off QuickBooks. I do not have a code, the Sunshine Project. Maybe I should organize one. But accounting software, you can usually get for free for the first few months or for 50% off or, you know, for a few dollars a month. So I would start researching that. And in terms of a website, There's no harm in starting with the smallest website and the smallest amount of offerings that you can. I love Squarespace, which again often has deals available and can be very affordable to start with, especially if you're offering a service and not a product. But if you really have no budget at all, I recommend starting solely on social media, solely posting there, selling from there, sharing from there, and then you can grow with your business. Cody asked, did I have insurance? Yes, I have always had insurance, but mostly because I have a candle business and I am a very anxious person to be sending little things that you set on fire around the world into people's homes. I recommend that sort of insurance. In terms of covering yourself otherwise, like public liability insurance and things like that, I do recommend speaking to your accountant. Now, I understand that accountants are expensive, so you might want to save this until your end of financial year meeting or chat, but I have been in talks with my accountant about how to untangle my business from myself. So at the moment, as a sole trader, if anything was to go terribly wrong and someone sued my business, they're actually suing me because I am my business. So that might be worth looking into or speaking to your accountant about. And yeah, just make sure that you've got any sort of insurance that you need to have. For example, if you're selling candles or if you're doing anything quite physical or if you're doing anything that might require you to protect your own or other people's health and safety, make sure you get on top of that. In terms of the more sort of like health cover, if you own a small business and income cover and things, yeah. That's a question for your accountant. And our last question today is from Charlotte. Charlotte has just gone from working nine to five to working three days a week and spending the other days working on her two small businesses, thinking that it would give her more balance in life. But she's found that her little businesses are working way more 
than a nine-to-five job was. She's finding that she's pouring all of her time and love and energy into it and she feels other things slipping away. And my love, as I mentioned before, I'm not the best one to ask about balance, although I will say I'm very lucky that my husband owns his own business as well and he was raised in a family where they owned a small business for his entire life and so he's kind of used to it and I'm kind of used to it and I'm not sure how we would manage that if that wasn't the case but what I will say is twofold as per usual. I would say that on one hand the truth is you're going to need to pour love and time and energy into a small business when you start it up maybe you'll have so much of everything to pour into it and maybe you'll have just enough, but just enough to keep it going is still a lot. It's still a lot. Maybe you find that you won't have weekends for a little while. Maybe you'll find that you're working late for a little while. I wish I had a clue on how you could avoid that. I just don't, unfortunately. Maybe that's the other caveat If you need stability and you need containment, you need the nine to five life in your life, maybe owning a small business is going to be really tricky for you. But the other thing I would say is bringing it back again to boundaries that you set. So you're the only one who can choose how much you would like to pour into your business. And it can be really easy to get carried away on like minutiae you know, these little tasks that you tell yourself you'll spend 20 minutes on and then all of a sudden it's five hours later and you're still doing the same thing. And the best thing I ever did for that in terms of maintaining concentration, in terms of having good boundaries, in terms of having set hours that I work, was actually hiring a creative assistant, a personal assistant who then turned into a creative assistant because she really helped me create structure She really helped me articulate what my goals were because if I was telling them to someone else, then I had to understand for myself. And she really helped me bookmark my days. Like when Amber gets here, I'm working. When Danny leaves, I'm done. And I have found that to be absolutely invaluable. (sighs) My love. That brings us to the end of today's episode of The Sunshine Project and of the very first of our small business series. I say very first because every time I wrap on one of these series, I think, oh, I wish I said this and I wish I said that. So I'm sure there will be more of this on the horizon. If you do not follow The Sunshine Project podcast on whatever app you're listening to right now, please do. It helps other people find us and, more importantly, it means that you can find me every week on a Monday and a Wednesday or whenever you want to listen. I'm so glad you're here. I love you so much and I'm so grateful to be able to speak with you like this. I'll speak to you soon. Bye. This podcast was recorded and edited on Ghana land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.